When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. How you doing, Joe? Hey, Matt. I'm all right. It's early for me. Lord. It's very early. It is 8 a.m. where you're at. I know. I mean, that's not early if you work, you know, at 5, but it is early yeah. for me who work at 8. <laughs> but that's how much you love this show, The o- the OC. That you're like, I will get up at 8 a.m. and talk about I an will. episode of The OC. <laughs> and what an episode to wake up early for. Uh, we're talking about season one, episode five, The Outsider. I'll just, I'll play my hand right now. This might be my favorite episode we've watched so far for this podcast. No, <laughs> that can't be true. What? <laughs> so here's the thing. There are parts of this episode that I hate. I think I think that last week's episode, uh, the debut overall was a better episode, but I think that this this particular episode, there were like three or four scenes where I was like, holy shit, that is a brilliantly written scene. That is a great, like, I think that there are amazing peaks in this episode. You, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. We're diving in. We're diving well, in. I'm ready for let's this. Let's get to it because I did not feel the same. So here we go. <laughs> All right. So this episode starts off. You've got. Oh my god! I just blanked on everyone's name. Ryan, <laughs> right, and Seth. I almost said Adam. <laughs> like, Adam Brody. Yeah, I was thinking of Adam Brody. I'm like Adam and Ryan. So, so Ryan and Seth go to the Crab Shack. Is that the name of this um, place? It's not the Crab Shack. It's the. Uh, is it? Yes, it is the Crab Shack. All right, they go to the Crab Shack, and the opening dialogue is them talking about a bunch of different things simultaneously Mm -hmm. Uh, but one of the things is about killing the lobsters i'm very charmed by this opening conversation it's funny but i i need to make a confession here on this show and i i don't know where your stance is on this i hate pretty much all seafood all of it hate like like what kind of hate like i can't like so the only seafood that i eat is barely seafood. It's New England clam chowder. That's it. That's mostly the broth with a few clams inside of it. And potatoes and corn and Yeah, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, that's a barely barely even constitutes seafood. Um so my family for a while tried to do seafood and the only fish we tried like five or six different fish. The only fish that I even kind of liked was orange ruffy. 
And then literally after having orange roughy, I was in class and they were going over which fish have the highest concentrates of mercury and orange roughy is like the top of that list, at least back in like the 2000s. So it's like, well, I guess that takes orange roughy off the table. I used to eat crab, but then like I recently tried it and I'm like, I don't know why I liked this as a kid. And I've tried lobster, didn't like it. I can't even go near shrimp. Um, The smell of shrimp actually like causes a gag reflex in me (laughs) everyone else in my family like my sister and my brother for years because they were born three years and a day apart from each other Mm -hmm, so they always mm -hmm. would have combined birthday parties for years it would be like hey we're gonna go get like 50 crabs and invite a bunch of friends over and just like wreck some crab you know i mean (laughs) like that was like that that is the the biggest thing that makes my uh my birth questionable on if my dad is actually my dad is his his undying love of all things seafood and my like resistance to every piece of it does your mom like seafood my mom enjoys it she'll eat it she likes having shrimp at every holiday and stuff like that like it's it's just me there's no one else in the family that's like ugh seafood but matt kelly (laughs) wow but i'm going to make an assumption that you are a fan of seafood just Based on the fact that you were born essentially on an island. Well, yes. So, <laughs> so uh, here's the thing, right? So, like the the local seafood that you get when you are raised on an island in the Pacific is different than like the commercial seafood you would get on the mainland, right? Oh, like the giant bag of frozen well, <laughs> shrimp that my parents well, like, bring home every like holiday. not even that. Like you know, we had that, but we but like. The fish that you would get from like fishermen that would fish the waters of the Pacific, right, is yeah. different, like so categorically different than what you than like going to your lo- my local fisherman's co-op, right? Just right. because of where it is, and so like I prefer kind of the <laughs> I'm going to call them like the the mainland fish as opposed to the pacific kind of fish because the pacific fish it's like the taste is a little bland there's a lot of bones so it's not as easy to fillet you really kind of have to concentrate okay (laughs) there's it's it's kind of a cultural thing where it's like if you're eating fish it's like generally very quiet no one is talking because we need to concentrate on not choking to death on a bone interesting because i can't imagine a dinner quiet in my entire (laughs) life (laughs) (laughs) true but like we but it's more it's that thing. So, like, I have this, I've had this, like, familial reputa- reputation of being someone who doesn't like fish, when in actuality, like, I'll eat a salmon, I'll eat a good seared ahi, you know, a tuna, a trout, like, give me a good sea bass, like, you know, white people fish. <laughs> the fish yeah, of- there you go. <laughs> the, fish of, the fish of Newport. Um, All right, so they're at the Crab Shack, and Ryan is... A little frustrated that everything is being paid for on his behalf and he wants to earn his keep a little bit and then i i just love in tv shows when fate instantly intervenes he's like well where are you going to get a job and then as soon as he says that you just hear someone like you know what i quit this place and you're just like well there we go can we talk about like can we talk about that thing where like can we talk about like male pride in tv shows Where it's just like, I don't like that they're paying for me. I need to get a job. And I'm like, I get it. But dude, like you could like, you know, that housekeeper that's at the fucking house, like they could fire her and you 
<laughs> you could do that. You could just do that. Yeah. Did you um have you ever done the this is like a move that I do very often, which is like you never want to just immediately accept someone offering to foot the bill. So you do like the one or two rounds of like, are you sure? Well, can I at least put in tip? (laughs) The dance, the dance as it were. The the dance. And like, there are times where deep down I'm like, Kelly, don't fight this too hard because (laughs) you need this right now. You need someone to be buying you lunch. Yeah. But you still are like, oh, man, are you sure? Like, I I could throw in a little bit. And then like, no, 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 no. It's my pleasure. And it's like, okay, well, thank you. (laughs) Like, like I flipped the switch so quick after the two two complimentary pushbacks. See, so like I – so I'm a Taurus, right? And in in very Taurus fashion, like I do love – I love a warm meal. <laughs> I love I love I love a good meal, but I also in true tourist fashion like love when gifts as well. So like I'm very willing <laughs> to just accept. Yeah. You're like, "Thank you." I'm always ready to like I'm always ready to split a bill, right? I've been with friends that are really good because um like for a while I didn't drink, like I didn't order drinks at, at dinner. I have friends who are really good about like, "Well, you know, I got wine, so let me put in a tip." You know, so they that's a that's a thing but i also come like culturally against being by the islands right culturally i come from a place where it's just like if you're the one inviting people to dinner then it's like you should be ready to take care of it and i remember very clearly like my cousins and there's like you know like 20 of us we all went out to dinner my sister older sister's best friend was there he was trying to pay for everybody and we were fighting him like this is the kind of things that happen culturally with people from Guam. They're like fighting each other as to who gets the check. And then the server came over and was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And then my sister's best friend, he like gives him his card and he looked at the server and was just like, if you do not take my card, I will have you fired. <laughs> and he was like, you, you're the one. Damn, I'll take your card. So- so my one friend Mike, uh, in one of the more baller moves I've ever experienced in my life, we all went to hibachi. Ooh, together. yum! Oh, I love me a good hibachi. And Mike was visiting from Tennessee. We hadn't seen him in a couple of years because he had moved down there. And he excused himself to the bathroom. And then when he came back, he's like, "All right, let's go." And we're like, "What?" And he's like, "I already paid the bill up front. I didn't have to go to the bathroom." And that was his way of like getting around the whole dance and like not giving us a chance yeah. to, to fight with him. And I was like, one day if I have enough money to just pay for an entire table of eight people's hibachi, I'm going to pull that move yeah. because that is a bowler ass move. Yeah. My, um, <laughs> my brother-in-law will do that often. Like he will, he'll go to the bathroom or like we will sit down at the, we will sit down at dinner um, and he, I've seen it happen a couple times. So I know that he, I know when he does it, he will just like, when he gets handed the menu, he will like sl- clandestinely like so that. The video gesture is really oh. weird, uh, but he'll clandestinely yeah. slide, uh, his card to the server. Um, mm-hmm. and then they'll have a moment because like my parents will always try to pay. And he's like, then like at the end of the meal, like she'll just, the server will just bring, you know, the check, but um, the receipt. Oh, that's that's a good. I might I might borrow that for like a date one time. Yeah, come on. <laughs> that's a good come date, on, Kelly. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can't afford a whole family, but I could afford a second person. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're still one minute into this episode. Um, so, so we go. So we go into the uh, Cohen's house, mm-hmm. and everybody is gossiping about 
the results of the previous episode. This Jimmy fight, Jimmy stolen all of our money. Um, and, and it is heavy stuff that's happening, but there's something about the over the top melodramatic music that's playing as Seth Ryan and Sandy are listening in on the conversation that takes it from serious to hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, it's, it's only a couple notes away from like Sarah McLaughlin's in the arms of the angel. Like it's such a ridiculous musical score, but that we're setting up that there are some issues in the world of Jimmy Cooper in case you missed it last week. And now we're into the crazy world of Ryan working at the crab shack. And this is where we meet Donnie and I am charmed by Donnie at first. Yeah. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. He's talking about like uh these these fucking spoiled people. And he says, "Welcome to Newport Beach, where on, where things only appear to be casual." And I'm like, "Ooh, that's a good, that's a good ass line." Cr- yeah, <laughs> I gotta give you that. I gotta give you that. <laughs> Luke shows up to try to win Marissa back, and I I should have written down exactly what the quote is because I watched this late last night. But I just wrote down, "How does Luke fuck up so bad so quickly?" Like it's like he's sitting down for all of like ten seconds and brings up like her dad going to jail and stealing everybody's money in his. In his bid to win her back, which it's like, read the fucking room, Luke. <laughs> like he, Luke at this point, right? So like Luke at this point in, not even in the series, Luke at this point in the season, <laughs> like in yeah. this just season of television, is someone who like he he kind of does later on in the season he will do a transition to be more like a Joey Tribbiani type character right like he'll be okay. he'll be he'll play the fool um what you may know because you're also a fellow fan of the Gilmore guys as the deaning of Luke right okay they dean him down <laughs> all right i so we'll talk about that for next week's episode too because like there are times in just six episodes that I've watched, there are times where Luke is an almost likable person. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times where I just want to punch him in his stupid face. And, um, and they do a good, like the characterization of him specifically, right? Is, is, is actually pretty great because they give him those moments and he, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel like there's different writers who don't understand who the character of Luke is when he's a sweetheart. It seems genuine. And when he's a douchebag, it seems genuine. Like yeah. it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, again, since we already brought up the Gilmore guys anyway, like how they talk about Daniel Palandino scripts, feeling like he doesn't have the love for the characters that Amy does mm-hmm. in the way that he'll write dialogue. I don't feel that with Luke. I feel like everybody who's writing this show is on board for, who Luke is or who he's going to be. But it is like frustrating when there's episodes where I'm like, man, I really like this version of Luke. And then the very next episode, I'm like, Oh, he's a piece of shit again. Son of a bitch. (laughs) We have, we, we do get a lot. There is some more fun Luke stuff coming. So just, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm glad that you're Uh, on board with the character right now because something, I mean, I would say some exciting Luke stuff happens at the end of this episode too, but uh, we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's get there. Let's get there. Uh, So real quick, before we jump back to the crab shack, there is a shot of Seth just laying outside and he's wearing my favorite shirt that I've seen him wear so far in this season, which is ADG and it's pictures of how to make those chords on a guitar and now start a band, which I'm not, do you know the the historical background of that specific shirt? No, I don't, but I, I figured it was some insidery music stuff. A little bit. Um, so there's a great documentary uh, called American Hardcore. That's about the like hardcore punk 
music scene uh, of the 80s, uh, specifically in New York, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. were like the three hotbeds mm-hmm, for it, mm-hmm. where you're getting bands like Minor Threat and Black Flag and Bad Brains and all of these bands. And a popular thing that was happening in that scene was people would draw out those three chords because they were the most common chords in that music and write, now start a band. And that would be like flyers that they would hand out to promote shows in the D.C. and, and L.A. and New York area where these weird little like... Here, this is all you need to know. Go form a band, like get your message out there type statement. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's dope that that's on a shirt now. Like I, I almost want to track that shirt down for myself. I, You know, I'm going to use that as a really quick jumping point to just say that as much as we crap on the, the early 2000s fashion, and it is bad for sure. Seth Cohen is one fine dressing human being. Like when he shows up, I'm like, I love this dude. <laughs> oh, Matt, that's so delightfully heterosexual of you to say that. Um, Matt the popped. Co- well, no, and I was never like a collared shirt guy, but Seth, Seth Cohen can pull it off in a way that I couldn't. But <laughs> see, like, here's the thing, right? Like, at the time, I thought the same thing. I actually modeled a lot of my style at the time off of Seth, quirky graphic tees, track jackets, like a very anchor blue era postal circa, you know, early aughts, post Iraq invasion, like is, yeah. is where that fashion sensibility lies, right? I look back on it now and it's just so there's a scene in the next episode where like it is so painfully it's so painfully straight more than any more than like painfully early aughts. But I love that you said that because I feel like it honors that part of me that thought that Seth Cohen was the pinnacle of you know, to use some SAT words was the pinnacle of sartorial achievement. All right, look at that. But that is definitely not how I feel now watching it. I, it's it's very cringe uh, to me. I'm still to very me. mixed on Seth. No, 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 I was gonna say I'm still look. We'll get into some Seth stuff. Uh, there is a moment in next week's episode where I was like, about fucking time, Seth. But we'll get there. So Seth shows up at the Crab Shack. He's got some great news. He bought tickets to an IMAX shark (laughs) documentary, and Ryan does not seem super enthused, and he has the great line, I don't know, man, this town sucks. It's the best I can do, which got like a genuine chuckle out of me. And then here comes Donnie, and now the charm of Donnie is starting to, to wane on me very quickly when he invites them to a party, and he says, man, we're gonna have six kegs and some crazy honeys. And I'm just like... Sign me up, Donnie. Also, Let's go. Okay, so like Matt, you lived in LA, right? You lived in LA for a hot minute. For for yeah, six months. I feel like that barely counts. But yeah, like, I was there for a bit. You live there, right? Like so yeah. here's the thing. Like, I don't know like your your East Coast listeners, right? If they're gonna understand the like that exchange that they have, like, you're from Corona, I'm from Chino. Like <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna go to this this uh, party in Long Beach, and it's just like, what is like? This makes no sense, right? This none of it makes sense. It's but I'm not thinking about it. I'm just I'm I'm taking it for what it is. So here's what I'll say when I'm talking about the peaks and valleys, right? Donnie is a valley for sure <laughs> in this episode. Like 
it's like everything happening with Donnie, with the parties, with all of this. It's like, whatever. It's frustrating teen drama. But let's talk a little bit about Sandy and Jimmy in this episode, because I actually think that the scenes with Sandy and Jimmy are some of the most charming and well-written that I've seen so far in this show. First of all, I love that there's this continuity that Sandy Cohen is just very good at this video game that he was playing with Ryan an episode earlier. Like, that love. So he's playing this video game with Jimmy. Sandy is going above and beyond here. He is trying to help a person that he genuinely doesn't care that much for, but he cares about... Kirsten and he cares that Kirsten and this person are friends and he also to a certain point even though we haven't seen it one-on-one I get a vibe that he genuinely cares about Marissa and and the basically the Cooper children I feel like Julie he can take or leave he's I don't think he has much of an opinion there but the scene that I wrote down I said this scene at the golf course is incredible the the dialogue exchange that happens on that golf course I love like First of all, I feel like it's a really weird, super, super carrot, <laughs> honestly, in 2022 still sticks. It's always a weird look when someone has stolen $4 million from people that trusted him and he's like playing a game of golf. Like, yeah, <laughs> we see it all the time. It's it's something that frustrates me. He's just him. like out here free, like he's <laughs> just free doing his thing. But there is this scene where where Sandy tells him look, you can get a plea deal. We'll keep you out of jail, but you're going to have to sell the house. You're going to have to sell your equity. Like you're going to have to pay everybody back by any way you can. And he says like, wouldn't your wife want you to be there with your family? And Jimmy has one of the most telling lines in the, in the series so far when he says, whose wife are we actually talking about? which says that Jimmy is aware that Kirsten would absolutely want Sandy to get rid of all of the material things mm-hmm. in order to be there for the family. And he married Julie who doesn't. And we get more into that in the next episode for sure. But well, not I'm again, the, I'm not here to the, be a Julie Cooper apologist, right? Especially after this episode. But that's what, at the informa- with the information that I have been provided up to these five episodes, that is clearly what that line is supposed to be drawing in the sand, and I think it does a yeah. good job. Yeah. And then he talks about how he needs to find a way to not go to jail but still provide for his family, and Sandy Cohen has my favorite line in the whole episode, which is, there's more to providing for a family than money. And like he runs down that thing where it's like, don't you want to see your kids graduate? Don't you want to be there for like all of these giant first things like money's not going to be a factor in seeing your kids graduate and grow up. Yeah. Um, It's such a, it's such a great scene. And I am not a person who likes Jimmy Cooper. I want that to be clear, (laughs) but I am a person who stands Sandy Cohen. And I think that this is, this is to me the best scene that I've seen so far that shows why I love Sandy Cohen is that he really is like, He's tapped into what matters and he can put his personal feelings of someone aside to do what the right thing is. And in his mind, Jimmy Cooper getting a slight slap on the wrist is the right thing because it benefits Marissa and her sister. And he's also... So 
a couple points. One, completely correct. I think that I want you to hold on to this feeling <laughs> okay. as you move through the series. You're correct in saying that, like, you know, Sandy is, like, holding on to, you know, to the heart of the matter, right? Which is, like, you, yeah. she, he's trying to figure out a way for Jimmy to still be a dad, to be present and to be a dad. There may be things coming in, you know, as drama unfolds, right? So just yeah. a little bit yeah. of a uh, little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, no spoilies, uh, Kevin T. Porter. Um, <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> but but the thing about it, though, right, is that it also kind of starts what I feel is the like. Sandy is a public defender, right? So he he has that great line of like, you know, I'm used to I'm used to defending people I don't particularly like. Um yeah. and in in this situation it's like the law, like he stole 4 million dollars Sandy that's like that goes against like, you know, his bleeding heart liberal uh liberalness of, you know, yeah. trying to help someone who committed like this huge theft. But at the same time, he is still a father, and so yep. and and a fellow father, and not for nothing, like he would do literally anything for Kirsten. So, yeah. and he's also not a father, but he's a daddy. Uh, <laughs> these two, like these two, the budding bromance that we are getting between Sandy Cohen and Jimmy Cooper is like fantastic because, like you know, they both look so. You know, we have we also get a lot of we get a lot of like Sandy in different recreational outfits this episode. We have him golfing. Yes. We have him like coming back from surfing. Like it's just very like they were working really hard with Peter with Peter Gallagher on this series to make him like this sex symbol. I side note, I had to text somebody, a future guest on this show for sure. Uh, my friend Robert Bacon of 91 Donkey Lane has a new YouTube series where him and his wife Ruth watch bad rom-coms that neither of them have seen before. Are you talking about what you were sleeping? Sort we'll get there. Okay. So so they call it these two idiots. It's a great YouTube series. Go watch it. But I recommend it to them to watch the Mandy Moore teen drama How to Deal. Uh- <laughs> um which which I think is like the best of the worst of teen drama. It's like every single cliche that you can shove into an hour and 40 minute movie, oh they somehow God. managed to put in there. But as they're reviewing it, Peter Gallagher plays her dad and they're like, oh my God, I know that guy. He's the coma patient from while you were sleeping. And I messaged him and was like, that is Sandy Cohen. And you put some respect on that name. How to like, deal. Thank you for yeah. drudging oh, that back up. Oh my God. All right. So Sandy Cohen, Jimmy <laughs> Cooper, th- this is what made me like this episode. This was where I was like, this is the most invested I've been in any person's actual story where I'm like, I need to see what happens next in this storyline. So that's why I liked this episode as much as I did. But let's get into the things I didn't like so much, which is Donnie. Um, In fact, one of my notes was, I do not like Donnie. Is he a one episode person or a new regular on the series? Please, God, not a new regular on the series. Um, I don't need you to answer that for me. I'm pretty sure that even if he's no, you're even if right. this isn't a one episode appearance, I don't think that he's like part of the gang where he's going to be hanging out every episode. So I feel clear yeah. in that fear. They go to this party and there's when they walk into. So 
We'll talk about the music in a second, but I don't know who Grand Scheme is, but he must have signed some type of deal because he has three different songs that appear in party scenes during this episode alone. So when they walk in, well, actually, when they walk into the party, it's a, another beautiful example of what year we're in. It is the not, it's not the let's get it started version of the Black Eyed Peas No. Song. <laughs> I was like, it's the, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Like that happened. I was like, oh, wow. Um, we are but they firmly walk into the... there. We are firmly yeah. <laughs> there. Right in there. So that plays. And I'm like, oh, they they went with the, the album version, which is an interesting call. Um, but then there's this heavy metal song called Brick by Brick by the group Grade 8 that's playing. And it's it's playing throughout the entire scene of like Ryan talking on the phone with Marissa. But... I think it's only there for when they find out that the car has been destroyed for them to bring up the like gnarly metal. But because of the way that they put it in there, I'm like, is this song actually playing at this party that just had black eyed beats on a couple seconds earlier? Like it makes, it breaks so much of the reality of the scene, but because they showed up to this long beach party in one of their fancy Newport beach cars, uh, it gets vandalized for them mm-hmm. being Richie's. And uh, there's this great line from Seth Cohen when uh, Sandy's looking at the car and he goes, and this happened at the uh, the IMAX? Mm-hmm. And he says, shark movies, man. They bring out a rough ground. <laughs> um, so good line there. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get back into the Donnie of it all in a second mm-hmm. because we just can't get enough of him this episode. He's, he's in almost every frame. But I want to give a quick shout out to a character that I was unsure how I thought the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. But man, does Kirsten fucking crush it in this <laughs> sauna scene. Yes. <laughs> like, just dropping hard facts on every one of these women in this in this sauna. Yeah. And just and and essentially being like, I'm not saying that Jimmy didn't fuck up. I'm just saying like, who the hell are we? Yeah, <laughs> to stand in judgment of any. She pulls a real Jesus and you without the <laughs> sin. Cast the first cast stone. The first type stone. Speech. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> in her white robe and her beautiful blonde hair. <laughs> it's great. It's another great scene. I the scenes with the Cohen parents are the standouts of this entire episode. And it's not even close. <laughs> no, like, because you have the, like, the kind of, like, the the mediocre drama of, again, because, like, the only thing that they have in the absence of, like, in the absence of, like, commenting about racial disparity, right? All we can comment about is class. And so yeah. we have Donnie, whose primary function is to represent, and that's what all of season one is about, all of season one is like we need to remind you the viewer us the viewer and like in in an essence ryan the character that he is not of this place like you, yeah, he is an outside he is the an outsider. outsider could refer to ryan or donnie exactly like it, it's yeah. you you are not of this place you do not belong here and probably you are more well suited to where you came from so it's yeah. that's the 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 thesis of this whole first season 
as which which is ironic because I agree with it, but I agree with it because I think that Ryan is too good for this town. <laughs> like, I, I see at least it, up yeah, to this point. Up to there this is, point, yes. it gets tomorrow next week's episode. <laughs> a lot, a lot happens, and and we'll get it. We'll get there. I do appreciate Seth Cohen going over and trying to smooth everything over with Marissa and Ryan because Ryan was supposed to have right. a movie night with her. It was going to be their first date. And then Seth drugs drags him to like check out this party at Donnie's friend's house mm-hmm. and then chaos ensues. And I like Marissa as a character. Mm-hmm. Like I do. I, I think that she is one of the first truly likable characters that is like wandered into this show was like her and Sandy. They, they both seem to have the same begrudging participation Mm -hmm. in Newport beach. And I do love that for them. But then the way that, the way that Seth smooths things over, he's like, how about you come over our house tonight? Ryan's a great cook. Mm -hmm. Like he'll make you some food. You guys have a great night. Mm -hmm. And Ryan is making her grilled cheese sandwiches. And he's talking about how these are great grilled cheese sandwiches. And he takes these things off of the grill. And my note is I can't tell if Ryan burnt these grilled cheese sandwiches or like a psychopath made them on wheat bread, but they do not look appealing. <laughs> like they are so golden crisp that I'm like, Ooh, no, no, no. That's not a grilled cheese to me. A white man with a proper palate for grilled cheese. <laughs> a palate for only grilled cheese. Some would say only grilled cheese, <laughs> not seafood, but, but, but you know, grilled fried processed cheese. Um, yes. Which is no, a deep... throw a couple craft singles yes. onto some white bread and call it a day. <laughs> Give me some butter, maybe some mayo. If you're feeling fancy. Dude, let me tell you about the psychotic way that my dad for at least two years made grilled cheese sandwiches because, and I quote less cleanup. He would toast two pieces of bread in the toaster Mm, and then smear butter on it, throw the cheese in between it, and then microwave it for 30 seconds and be like, it's just as good. It was not just as good, Your Your dad like has successfully managed to avoid incarceration for that (laughs) atrocity. He was he was in his 40s cooking like he was a 19 year old off to college for the first time like it was Jeez. it was wild but this is where luke and holly start to start to hook up yes which like are we can we be done with holly i feel like i feel like she's i th- i don't even i haven't i didn't I go forgot back. who she was yeah <laughs> <laughs> I had to remind myself who Holly was. I was like, who is this? Person? She's the one who's cooking chicken drumsticks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in, a in a bikini while holding a cocktail. Yeah. She is a very forgettable character. And I am good with if this is the last I see of Holly. I don't think who I'll also, be so lucky. Like, but... Whose dad, like she's, I, like, she's the character I want to be, right? Like, she, whose dad is also, like, the the guy who punches Jimmy out of the debut oh, and like right. ca- yeah. calls him a thief who so essentially she's poor right <laughs> she <laughs> she has no more wealth but you know she's doing pretty great she got this beach house her parents don't really care no she's doing all right and this is where the episode escalates so quickly because <laughs> Luke comes down because he's about to have sex with Holly mm-hmm. but then they hear the sound of glass breaking. Holly comes down and sees that Donnie and his friends have broken her blender and Luke goes to defend her 
and Donnie pulls out a gun and we're five episodes into this show and Luke has been shot already, <laughs> which yeah. seems like a season one cliffhanger or like something that would happen in season two. But here we are, episode five. There's already been gun violence. Yes. Um, now, thankfully, it's only in his arm. And then in a note that I wrote and then later felt completely differently about 45 minutes later when I watched the next episode, I wrote, Ryan is insanely too good of a person. Not so sure about that after the next week's episode, but at this point in the storytelling, Ryan's like, hey, I'm sorry that I was trying to defend Holly's honor and keep a fight from escalating and got you shot in the arm. Let me not just drive you to the hospital, but let me call your ex-girlfriend, whom I know you are still in love with because she's someone that you want to be there for you. Like, Mm -hmm. just like chivalrous to a dumb degree. And and then after all of this, it ends on a joke. The last line of the episode is a fucking joke where Seth Cohen says, United we United we're unstoppable, but divide it, we get shot. <laughs> like, Josh Schwartz, right, the creator, like he knew what he was he knew what he was getting into <laughs> when he made he knew exactly what he was doing. This is episode five, where like if this is a if this was a modern ten episode series like this would be the seat like this would be the the mid-season um mid-season finale yeah. almost but no we have like there's like 15 some 15 17 more episodes after this so yep. we got to keep you we got we need you to know the drama and again that ep- like the ep- the thesis of season 1 is that Ryan does not belong how does he how does he negotiate living in the OC when it's a place that is not suited for him in this way it's like you know he because he related to this other kid he's working a working job um, a working man's blue collar job and it invited this violence right like his very uh, ryan's very presence is inviting this kind of violence but i push against that again for the same thing i said last week where it's like they keep trying to make it seem like well if not ryan this place would never have violence but ryan didn't have a goddamn thing to do with holly's dad beating the shit out of jimmy in the middle of the debut no No, you're you're entirely correct but i think in this uh, when it comes to this when it comes to the plots with the kids right yeah, like it's all Ryan focused in that way because the white collar yeah. crime, like you know, they'll they'll gossip about it, they'll deal with it. We're we're mildly interested in all of that, but no, the stuff with Ryan specifically, and also just like first of all, like Luke, who loves to bandy around the term "bitch," like could not have yeah. been more of a <laughs> could not. Oh I my mean, god, like, he. He buckles so... I mean, and I can't complain because I think if someone pulled a gun out on, on me, I would also yeah. buckle pretty fast. But yeah. <laughs> but still, it's like, dude, you talk a lot of smack for a water polo player. Yeah. Which, like, <laughs> which, what is the hate with water polo? Like... I, I, they brought it up so much they this brought episode. It up so much. They brought it up. They bring it up so much, Matt, that when I moved to this, like when I moved to the mainland and I found out that there were, they, my school had a water polo team, I like stayed away from them. <laughs> Because I didn't know. <laughs> That's the other thing, too, is that the I think we mentioned this. We may have not mentioned this in the first episode, but like this show coming out and watching some of the series live also kind of coincides with me moving 
to the mainland, to Southern California and San Diego. And so I'm not saying that like it instructed me in culture in any way, because now I'm like, wow, this was very, very much a very specific and curated type of SoCal culture at the time. But it kind of did because this... Yeah. Like, yeah, I stayed away from the water polo players. I had friends who played water polo. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, my God, they're nice people. (laughs) They get good grades. They're not calling people bitch. (laughs) The way that pop culture will influence how you perceive things. I, to this day, if I have one high school regret, it's that I didn't do track. And I say that all the time because I actually probably would have been a decent sprinter. I couldn't do long distance runs, but if you needed me to like run from point A to point B against somebody, I could usually keep pace or even sometimes outrun them. But I was just so convinced that like, well, if they're, if you're an athlete, like you're an asshole and like, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of assholes. Then it was like my senior year when I befriended half the track team was like, Oh, this is like the chess club of athletics. Like it was all the dorkiest, nerdiest kids did track. And I was like, I would have been so at home. Like, I would have been so welcomed and, like, still able to be, like, the dorky film nerd that I was. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, you watch a lot of 90s teen flicks right before you go to high school, and it is very clear. Like, you you are in this bucket, and, like, these people are in these buckets, and you cannot cross the streams. <laughs> and it does. It affects the way you perceive things. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Let's talk music real quick, because this had a lot of songs in it. As I said, a lot of them by grand scheme. Um, <laughs> so, so the episode kicked off with The Way We Get By by Spoon. Grand Scheme had three songs. Uh, Sucka MCs played when Ryan's getting trained at the Crab Shack. I, I, uh, I, uh, I, I guess that's how that's pronounced, is when Luke shows up in the Crab Shack to talk to Marissa and then Rock This Place or Rock Like This is playing when they enter Holly's party. Um, we've already talked about the uh, Black IP song that shall not be named as well as mm-hmm. the metal song by Grade 8, Brick by Brick. When everything is going crazy in Holly's party, the roots roll in with the heat 
starts playing. Um, but the song that I picked for the song of the episode comes from a very sweet moment of Marissa and Ryan sitting by the pool talking, which is one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite bands, Fountains of Wayne's All Type All Kinds of Time mm-hmm. plays while they're having a, a nice little moment by the pool. It's a it's a great song and really it was the only song that stuck out to me besides the one that shall not be named <laughs> for very different reasons. Sure. How about you? Did you have a song from this episode? So uh, <laughs> I was going to come on here and say the Black Eyed Peas, that song is shut, that shall not be named, <laughs> mainly because it is such a moment, right? It's such a, it, it the, yeah. the song itself, it represents a cultural moment in, um, at the time when we when we start to have these conversations, right? Because like you, in modern- I feel like this was like the last big one, honestly. Well, like, so, he, so- Here's the thing. The fact that they did a radio edit of it at the time yeah. is like, okay, we must have already been having that discussion in 2004 of like, could we maybe use a different yeah. word? But the effects <laughs> like, of that, right? So the effects of yeah. that radio edit, right? Like we still feel today, Lizzo, this year, we've seen it a couple times. Lizzo changes a lyric in a song because, uh, in, in the version of her songs, because it's, the same community is being affected. Yeah. Uh, the same community is calling for is is outraged and calling for uh, uh calling for some justice. Yeah, Beyonce does it. Taylor Swift um is getting hate for the uh or not hate, but is like is getting some backlash for uh some anti fat representation, right? So like that's being that's happening today. Um, I feel like this should be my cultural pop culture moment. <laughs> but go for it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's dive right in. We'll blend. I want to say that your the fountains of Wayne song which like I purposely don't look up the music because I want to I don't want to be unless I already know about it I I don't want to be informed uh yeah. I, I just want to let it speak diegetically in the film and I in the in the in the show and I think that your um what you said with that's with the tenderness between them because there's a lot of those moments that are going to be sprinkled throughout the series and this is a good like it's so pleasant and nice between the yeah. two of them in that moment and how like they you know he could have just done this all along right like Ryan doesn't need to have a job to like be afford to take Marissa out on all these fancy dates she just wants him she just wants she to wants spend him. time with him and thankfully they live next door and they live in a fucking mansion so you know they can hang out at the pool and do all these things so yeah, the Fountains of Wayne song is the true choice. All right, so let's you you hinted at it. Let's talk about our pop culture thing real quick. What what like moment of pop culture significance do you have that you want to talk about? Well, I'm gonna I'm just gonna continue my <laughs> I'm gonna get yeah, back go up on it. my soapbox, right? And so like you have these moments this year in music specifically where underrepresented uh, minoritized communities are talking are are speaking out against particular things, right? So like there's a word that Lizzo uses, there's um, in her song Girls that like she erases and is happy to right the same thing with beyonce she does she changes the lyric and something a little bit and then you have uh taylor swift with uh some fat phobic visuals in her anti-hero video so like you have these things that are happening and the the interesting thing and the, where i think the pop culture-ness of it all right is the fact that like we we meaning like millennials of a certain age gen z already is kind of hip to this like we don't have to wait 
for it. Like the the culture can just change like that because digital allows. It's like, okay, we'll do it at midnight when no one's potentially streaming the Lizzo album or you know, two in the morning. And we'll just change the lyric and that'll be it. And this is something that you're seeing. And I think you may have posted some, I may have seen this from you or someone else in one of the other, um, in one of the other groups that many groups that I'm a part of, but just like, this is the same thing that you're also seeing with like cuts of different films. So like you're seeing edits happening to certain things. Um, Lilo and Stitch, look it up. Lilo and Stitch on Disney plus is not the Lilo and Stitch theatrical version that you're getting. See, that that I I mean that I don't mind actually. Something that's more modern, I don't mind. I do think it's an interesting tightrope that we walk because I am rewatching the Looney Tunes Golden Age collection DVDs that I have, mm-hmm. and those DVDs all start with a intro from Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, where dear. where she says like, hey. We want to give you a heads up that the things that you're watching, there are going to be things in this that are culturally in, uh, you know, inappropriate. They weren't appropriate then. They're not appropriate now. This isn't, you know, she kind of goes through this whole thing like it's not an, an excuse. It's it's just an explanation here. But the thing that she says that I do agree with is, but we want it to keep these as they were because to erase it would be to pretend that these types of uh, racist ideas never existed at all. And like I do think that that can become a little dangerous. I think that it isn't a bad thing to have a roadmap to show the progress that we've made as people and say like we've grown past mm-hmm. these types of art in cartoons and have decided that that is wildly inappropriate and have stopped doing it. But like I don't know. I, I think that I think that trying to erase say those Looney Tunes cartoons is honestly not that far off from the very Republican bills that we try to fight against. That's like, we just won't talk about racism in class at all. It's like, no, you sometimes you need to see and discuss uncomfortable things. It's, it's important because the sooner that you start to pretend it never happened, the easier dumbasses can say, what are you talking about? Racism was never a real thing. Like, it's nice to have that hard evidence of like, oh, it fucking was, and here's the proof of it. Like, mm-hmm. I wish that it didn't. I wish that we could live in a world where that never was the case. But yeah, that is a thing that it it is interesting, and Disney is definitely the king of it right now. Disney is combing through that Disney Plus stuff and trying to make sure that, that whatever is up on that streaming site is as uh, squeaky clean and acceptable as it can be. And I... I applaud that. I kind of preferred when they did like with the Muppet show, the big controversy of the Muppet show that they had the audacity to put a five second warning at the front of the episodes, just saying, Hey, some of this stuff might not have aged well, like (laughs) call it out. I I think it's better to call it out than to just erase it from existence. Yeah. And I think that like, when you within the absence of context, right? Like you in the absence of someone there to have context and, honestly a lot of those changes like the changes specifically of the three musical instances right that happened in the last year the they rely on the press like they're relying yeah. on the media to make those announcements right that's the whole reason why you issue press releases and all that stuff right so it's it's there but but the proactive nature of you know the proactive nature of Disney, of your your what you're like the document the the Looney Tunes DVDs that you're talking about, like it's that's that I was like, yeah, put it in its historical context 
and yeah. let's you know let's learn from it and then because some th- some people are going to watch it and be like I don't think that was that bad and I'm like yeah to you but like then you're also unpacking your own privilege um, exactly Matt and the, and yeah. yeah it's it's tough it's a weird world and like uh, yeah I would say 99% of the time when I'm watching those I'm like yeah this is bad and then there's always that one percent that I find myself chuckling at, and then I'm like, "Oh fuck!" Like, and then I do have to unpack a little bit of like, "No, like that's not right. That shouldn't be funny." I'm gonna go on a much more wholesome route for my pop culture yeah. promo, which was that uh, the Great British Baking Show season ten wrapped up. Kind of not my favorite season. It felt like a real. Did you watch? No, but I heard all about Mexican Day. <laughs> Even Mexican Day, I feel like. I watched it after all of the publicity, mm-hmm. and I was just kind of like, I don't know about this. Like, like it was like, I <laughs> how do I word this? I don't even think that it was insensitive as much as it just wasn't funny. <laughs> like, because they even called it out in the very beginning where it was like, hey, it's Mexican Day. We have to make sure that we don't offend it. Like, it literally starts with that being like, we have to make sure we don't offend anybody. And it's like, or just don't do it. Just don't do Mexican Day at all would be another option. Um, but even controversies aside, I don't know. A, a competition show is a lot more exciting when you can't see from a mile away who the final three people are going to be. And then like this season had a lot of really great characters and personalities and cooking. But like from the very first episode, you're like, well, these are the four best chefs that they have here. Mm-hmm. And no surprises when it gets to the end of the season. You're like, oh, there they are. The the four people from episode one that I was like, these are the ones. I, I do like twists and turns. I like twists and turns with my reality TV. Mm-hmm. I like to be surprised. Um, you- my brother <laughs> also just got me hooked on to Survivor. So I've been following oh, the God. new season of that. But so, so what you're saying, Matt, is that you, and when it comes to reality TV, you're just a messy bitch who lives for drama. Like we can't have... Mm-hmm exactly we can't have like you know people being nice (laughs) i want to no i love i love great british baking show because of how wholesome and nice it is but i i like to be surprised by a result and i felt like every step of this season i'm like that's the person who's going home that's the person like i could just got it i could have i could have watched episode one I genuinely think I could have watched episode one and written down in the exact order how every single baker was going to be eliminated <laughs> it, like and nailed it 95% of it properly. Been like, all right, this person's going to go in episode five. This like that you could just it, it was a it was a very unfair advantage <laughs> on on three bakers parts mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to the rest. Uh, but yes, that is. The Outsider, another OC episode that we have knocked out. And uh, stay tuned for one of the most uncomfortable 45 minutes of television I think I've ever watched (laughs) next week. Geekscape Network.